and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then. So today, the phrase brand purpose is synonymous with, I think, modern forward thinking businesses and brands and defines some, I don't know, greater meaning to why that brand or company exists. Yet, many still struggle to define their purpose beyond the we make money. And that's not what purpose is, frankly. But then there's the added confusion of terms like purpose driven and purposeful and that agenda of doing good works and ethical support of causes. And now these all play and can play a huge role in the engagement with employees and importantly customers and the culture of a company. And of course, how that brand is seen to the outside world. But all those things can be interpreted slightly differently. Now, somewhere along the line to me, it's all got a bit tangled up. And I think the result of that is that purpose particularly brand purpose, is coming for quite a bit of stick. And some questions are being asked to its relevance and importance. But then to confuse that even further, purpose has been highlighted in a recent McKinsey report as the number one thing that the most successful companies are or are planning to focus on as we move forward, which to me sounds absolutely fantastic, but I'm not sure that cleans up any of the confusion and the role brands play in all of this. So thank goodness that today I have someone with me to help take a closer look at this issue, and I am absolutely confident we'll offer up some sound, practical advice on the best way forward for brands and brand purpose. Now, he's got years of experience in developing strong brands and and helping them solve some of the most complex strategic problems. And he's now the joint owner of brand consultancy, Mimo Brands, and he's a smashing guy to boot, Giles Thomas. How are you, my friend? I feel your intro set the bar very high. Um, oh, I'm for, not for, for good reason. convinced I can live up to it. For good reason, Giles. <laughs> but it's very nice to be here. Very nice to be here and to hear such wonderful words coming from your mouth. I'm flattered and honoured. How are you? I'm okay, my friend. I'm okay. I'm loving doing these things and getting to speak to, to, to guys like you and actually record conversations that I have with guys like you because I have conversations with you and no one ever hears the genius that we spout. But now, through the gift of Zoom and the podcast, they get to hear that stuff and we get to edit out all the rubbish that gets in the middle of it as well. So, you know. As, as we said, I said, what could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong, my friend? So, look... We've known each other for a good while now. My listeners 
don't really have a clue who you are. Tell us, who is Giles Thomas? Who is Mimo? What are you up to? So I run a company called Mimo Brands, which is a specialist brand strategy consultancy. We help clients to solve their, their messier problems. Um, we also do our best to get them to a place where they can exploit the commercial benefits of brands within organisations because strong brands generate value for businesses and weak ones don't. Yeah. So we help them to strengthen the brands they have. I think that's interesting because making money or profit, when you talk about the topic we're going to talk about today about purpose, sometimes people think that purpose is at the expense of profit. And that's rubbish, right? Because businesses you know, want to make profit because profit helps you continue to deliver the purpose, right? Right. So you need to make it commercially viable. It needs to be connected to customers. And, and what we're talking about today is, well, what's that deeper meaning for a brand that helps I don't know, accentuate those connections, maximizes the opportunity to to grow and grow customers and grow loyalty and generate decent profits. I mean, profits are not a dirty word. No, and I think historically it was always viewed as an either or. Yeah. You could either have a, a sustainable, environmental, purpose-driven brand, or you can make certainly short-term profits. And I think there are some excellent examples which have completely debunked that. Yeah. But having said that, I think there are plenty of examples where it hasn't gone well, um, which I think has led to some of the disparaging comments around the, the, the word purpose and those people who peddle it as a, as a source of income. Yeah. I, to me, there's, a, there's the element of fad and tick box that's mm. come in because I don't think people understand it properly, possibly for some of the confusion, probably because it's it's the bright, new, shiny thing, or was, and marketers do love a, sh- a shiny thing to kind of rally uh, behind. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's necessarily been properly understood, and I don't think it's necessarily been properly executed. What's When I use the, f- the phrase brand purpose, what does that mean to you, Giles? It, it simply means your reason for existence. and And you're right, it has been conflated with the environmental and sustainability and human rights agendas, which is all fine, but instead of it being a nice, clear description, it's become a bit of a mess. I think you're absolutely right. And it's confused also by you know, various other bits of language. I think probably just at the outset, before we start with what's gone wrong, mm. maybe we should just sort of review what's good about them. It's such an important question, We and it's such a popular question at the moment. And you've got a spectrum, as you've rightly pointed out in your, your intro. You know, you've got those that believe that capitalism itself will, will disintegrate if every last enterprise doesn't publicly state the fact that it's saving the world through selling more biscuits or whatever it might be. <laughs> you've got that end, and then you've got the other end who just think it's all a load of tosh, and they will carry on treating their employees like slaves and, and polluting the oceans and you know, creating exponential piles of landfill. and simultaneously destroying the high street you know i think those are the ends of the spectrum and i think the the truth probably (laughs) like all things in life sits somewhere in the middle what do i think what do i think i think it's incredibly important and i think that that through one lens purpose it's important because i think there has been a relentless uh, tsunami if you like of global consumer consumerism which is contributing to the destruction of our planet and destruction of our well-being so if you talk about the environment if you talk about social issues um, if you talk about human rights issues i think consumerism is an accelerant of those issues 
Um, and therefore, any levers that we can pull to reduce its impact, I think, is, is, is worth it. And whether that's, you know, being able to reduce ocean pollution or whether we can have a small impact on deforestation or or any of those, you know, it's, it's worthwhile doing. And I think that as well as impacting our environment, I think this rampant consumerism is damaging our values in society. I think that it's contributed hugely to the inequalities that we all blindly and not ignore. We don't ignore them, but we're slightly immune to them now. But if you think that sitting back and buying your £2 T-shirt from Primark uh, in huge numbers is is a good thing and, and, and mm. we can we can buy joints of meat for pence in the pound and there has to be some end result of this consumerism mm. right there has to be and the, the result is huge inequalities in wealth huge inequalities in living standards huge inequalities in health and it also promotes greed it promotes envy and it promotes wastefulness none of which are good things in my book. We should care about these things. We should care about the fact that our, our planet is you know, under huge threat. Um, we should care about the fact that we treat so many of our fellow population really, really badly. I mean, according to Oxfam, the world's richest 1%, the richest 1% has more than twice as much wealth as 6.9 billion people. I mean, it's a horrible statistic. And that's, so that's people. And if you want to talk about the planet, a third, guess this, a third of all food is wasted, but one in nine go hungry around the world. I mean, these are horrible statistics. And, and businesses have a lot to do with that. Businesses are how so many people earn their money. So the inequality of wealth is a large way, large part down to, to business. And the destruction of our planet is in large part down to business. So it's up to business to step forward and take responsibility to do something about it. So if that's what your purpose is, to save the planet and to look after people better, I think that's close enough a definition. But that's the relationship, I think. Cool. I mean, uh, in terms of where we think it's gone wrong or why we think it's had a had a bad rap, to me, and I'm interested in your opinion here, there seems to be three main disconnects in my head. There's a disconnect of the message, and it's certainly not rooted in what a business does very often. There's a disconnect in the values of the business. They have t- a try and attach themselves to some lofty, worthy cause that has no connection to the business. And then failure to communicate the blend of message and value to consumers. And with my line of work, none of that is communicated or connected to the internal audience either. That's my premise on why I think this stuff's gone wrong and why it's got a bad rap. How do you see it? I don't disagree with that. The start point is that I think us business, and in particular that branding and marketing people, have some blame attached to us. Right. Because I think you're absolutely right. There's a messaging slash language issue here. That's what we do. We're here to help communicate between communities to achieve a change in behaviour. and We haven't done that very well. Um, and I think there's overconfidence because people have oversimplified it. And actually, it's really quite difficult and complex. And I think there's also efficacy. I think a lot of people have done it and they haven't seen any impact. And so, therefore, it allows people to, to, to you know, point the finger at us. So I think, I think language is an interesting one because you're rightly pointing out there's a, there's a problem with definition. But I think also it's encouraged 
untrained branding practitioners to talk even more nonsense <laughs> than than we have done before. And I think, unfortunately, we have an unenviable reputation for dispensing impenetrable waffle when we want to, which at times, you know, has hidden, you know, it's been a smokescreen around incomplete thinking and a lack of discipline and rigour. And I think this is another example of that amongst those who are relatively inexperienced and untrained. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest compliments, you may have seen it on our website, actually, one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid was by someone called Jens Hoffmer, who's currently CEO of Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut in Germany. And we presented to him some time ago on a board. And, uh, and at the end of it, he stood up and said, that was the most bullshit-free branding presentation <laughs> I have ever seen. And I'll tell you, I wear that uh, as a badge of pride. And, and I think that pointed out a number of problems we have with, with us as branding and marketing people. We don't always make it clear. We don't always make it simple. And give it a nice, new, shiny thing like purpose, we've messed it up again. And I think, you know, forgive me for, for using this as a reference point, I think this wild west of brand purpose is, is in partly attributable to the very venerable Simon Sinek and his famous start with why TED Talk, which, by the way, I think is great. Um, I wouldn't knock it, but it's it's in my experience, it's triggered a sort of a sort of stampede of willing, newly emboldened but inexperienced branding people who they felt suddenly equipped to help their business and clients to sort of scale the Mount Everest of brand purpose and take it on and give them a simple solution, which in reality it's really difficult to do um, if you want to have any impact on your business and you want to have any impact on the communities around you. So great presentation as it was and we've all got a lot lot to learn from how Simon did it um, but I think the confidence that it gave too many people actually worked against us I think just picking up on that difficulty I think you know if you don't have one to start with it's really difficult to do it retrospectively mm. big com- some big companies have done a terrific job of spending a lot of time in unpicking the DNA of their business and finding a purpose that works for everybody works for the leadership works for all colleagues and for the communities they work in and their customers. But it is tricky. And, and it's more than just employing a brand consultant for a day's workshop and doing a snazzy PowerPoint. You need a lot of people in the organisation to, to go on the journey with you. And you need more at the top table, as I said, because you're going to engage everybody. I think that's true. Um, I mean, that, that, that combination <clears throat> of leadership setting the North Star, but... We're at it again. Did you notice what you did there? <laughs> Sorry. Just, I just being incorrigible. I cannot help myself. So, North Star. We, we, the, the leadership, I always felt this was very much part, part of the roles that, that I played, was to set that kind of division. But to your point, the involvement and collaboration of multiple, I'll use the word layers because I'm inequipped yeah. to use better vocabulary multiple layers throughout the organization and if you're really doing it properly yes suppliers the community customers to try and find that unifying alignment which is really hard and you won't necessarily please everybody but if you can marry up that stuff and actually have it rooted in what the business actually does and how Mm -hmm. it actually makes a contribution then i think you've got something worthwhile right um, but without I think that so involvement, too. it's just the whim or the folly of a leader. This can be done in a in a sort of as a veneer 
to an yeah. organisation. You know, just putting on some nice new clothes and they don't fit and you look daft in them. I think um, the other thing about the process of it, I think it's really imp- interesting because it does force organisations to explore and find some answers to some big and sometimes uncomfortable questions. And, and in so doing, you're, you've got to challenge your beliefs and you've got to value, challenge your values and your principles. Um, you know, are you prepared to risk losing short-term profits in order to pursue potential long-term benefits? You know, as the great Bill Burnack said, you know, a principle isn't a principle until it costs something. And I think the last 12 months, you've really started to see the companies, to distinguish the companies for whom a principle is a proper principle. And it's something they're prepared to to sacrifice. Sorry, they're not prepared to sacrifice the principle, but they are prepared to sacrifice other things in their business, profits in particular, in order to demonstrate their belief in this principle. And others aren't. Are you, can uh, you pull well, out some examples of that, Charles? <clears throat> because I think over the last months, you know, we've seen guys that have, I think, <laughs> stood up straight and proud next to the statement you've just made and other guys who've decided well, we'll just park that for a bit yeah. i know what we said we'll park it for a bit because we've got other stuff to do so yeah in that, in I that think hall of fame where would you go in the hall of fame well i think the good news is is that the um there are emerging waves of really exciting and and principled young companies who are slowly but surely offering real choices in a range of different categories. But none of us have heard of them anymore at the moment, so I'm not going to pick them out. Um, but I, I'll talk about three companies that I think everybody will have heard of. Okay. Um, and some, some are obvious and one or two might be a, a bit contentious. And I think let's start off with a company both you and I know, mm. which is anyone interested in the history of purpose should really study the cooperative society. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Not just here in the UK, but everywhere. You know, you and I have had the privilege of working with East of England Co-op for the last couple of years. Yeah. And they, like like other co-op companies, have been exponent, exponents of purpose-led business for over 150-odd years. You know, they've been doing this long before anybody else started talking about purpose. Founding and their purpose is <laughs> And principle, exactly. I mean, their purpose is to make profits in order to invest in communities, full stop. You know, that's putting a really strong purpose right at the core of their decision-making process. And their business strategies are all designed to improve the well-being of communities, especially the disadvantaged in communities. They're highly principled. They're directed by co-op values, which, you know, I was funny enough, I was looking at them only this morning. They're much the same now as they were 150 years ago. And it's about equity. It's about democracy. It's about respect for people. It's about looking after your disadvantaged. It's owned. It's owned by by members, um, and it's held accountable by a lay board. So I think in structurally, they have been doing this before almost anyone else I can think of, and they continue to do it. They were very limited in their use of furlough. They released, they they put money and services back into the community. They, they've done a whole range of different things, but I think they're a shining beacon, along probably with other co-ops I haven't work, worked for. They're exactly what this country needed, exactly when they needed it. And I think they don't get the credit they deserve. Charles, I think they're a great case study, my friend. And that bit you talk about ownership and consistency, they're two massive enablers of having a purpose or strategy that actually works. 
And yeah. uh, every single person we've spoken to in that organization would say the same things, would behave the mm. same the same sort of way. So, yeah, great case study, mate. Second is is a very different organization and structured in a very different way, but my word, has it, has it, has it led thinking in the field? And, of course, this company is Unilever. Ah. The way they have led the purpose agenda for admittedly only about 10 or 12 years, but that's sort of eight or 10 years longer than most other people. At a time, as I said earlier on, when most businesses couldn't see a future in trying to align sustainability, for example, and business performance, it was always an either or. They made their intentions really clear back in 2010 when they launched the Sustainable Living Plan. And since then, they have discovered, and there's everyone else worth taking note, the more they have lent in on purpose, the faster they've grown. So if you look at the brands that have done best to the Unilever portfolio, the ones that have put purpose right in the middle and have shaped their products, shaped their distribution, shaped their content and messaging, shaped um, everything about the brands are the ones that have grown fastest. And and they've really lent a credit to Unilever. Credit to Unilever. They really learned how to do it and do it at scale globally. I mean, the, the, the purpose is really simple. It's to make sustainable living commonplace. To make sustainable living commonplace. It's it's got very few words, but it's a very big thought. Um, and they've publicly posted their goals, which is includes improving health and well-being for more than one billion people reducing environmental impact by half and enhancing livelihood. So they've been very public about it. They've been doing it a long time. They've stated their aims and it's led to business success. I don't think you can fault that. Actually, again, if you just think about the examples. So Dove was all about uh, self-esteem, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It's educating men and women about what self-esteem looks like, what it doesn't look like. And they've helped over 35 million people think about that and educate them. Life Boy, which isn't a brand you see that much here, but that's reached over a billion people with hand-washing campaigns. So is that sustainability? I don't know. I would have thought that's health and well-being probably. So we've got mental health. We've got health and well-being. Vaseline, which was, again, it's a huge global brand, has helped lots of people in terms of uh, who are on the front line of poverty, that sort of social, social well-being. And then, but also you know, the, the sweeping moves they've made across their, their businesses, reducing total waste, the total waste f- footprint of their consumers, they've reduced by 32%. That's across all their categories. Wow. I mean, just by so, didn't they have to all end up tying back to the overarching principles as they wouldn't be delivering their goals to me it's a very similar thing when you're setting company values and individual behavior is that you set yeah. the, the company values as principles and the way to get ownership is to get the behaviors personalized right but they still link back yeah. to the, the values you haven't got a million different values yeah you have the standard stuff but you have individually owned behaviors to kind of deliver those things I think Unilever are an absolute shining beacon and they are again a, a proof that you know the, the 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 credentials the credibility comes from continuity and they've been doing it a long time and they've been serious about it and they've managed to turn it into commercial benefits for everybody to see as well as community benefits so there are very good examples of, of where it's done properly um, there's one more brand I want to mention which is slightly contentious because 
it's really, you know, Mr. Branson gets a lot of knocking. It's a popular sport, isn't it? <laughs> amongst the amongst the less well informed and the slightly resentful. Yeah, he's a tax exile. I can't. And his PR team were very slow in the early days of of lockdown. But I'm of the belief we should give the man a break. I think Virgin, the Virgin story is remarkable and one that's driven by core purpose and always has been. Uh, And the purpose is really simple. It's changing business for good. Yeah. Four words sits at the heart of that band. As soon as you know that, you get a better understanding of what he's been doing. So, you know, it makes sense of... I mean, I'm old enough to recommend Virgin Megastores, <laughs> record stores, and I'm old enough to remember Mike Oldfield and, you know, the, the music business. Um, but, you know, he's probably most famous for the airline. But people forget, you know, he took on big, comfortable, sometimes monopolistic or duopolistic markets like airlines. He was one of, if not the original challenger brand, that expression that marketing people love to still to use. And it's, it's, it's very accurate. You know, he put people and profit and the planet together at the heart of his business, rather than saying it's all about profit or it's all about people. And, and it's sat at the heart of their decision-making ever since. I do think yeah. it's interesting because he does, to your point, he has the pot shots knocked at him. And you could argue in one respect, depending how, informed you are as to be one of the brands that perhaps didn't live up to their billing during the last year or so um yeah because of some of the decisions and and pr bits that were made at at the start so i think it's interesting that you you're a backer because there are just as many knockers who think you know to your point about those guys who perhaps haven't stood by purpose quite as well there's a fair number of people that would say branson showed his true colors over, over the last year and i don't know if that gets mixed up in the amount of wealth the man has <laughs> and therefore if he asks for help for money well he's got loads just use it out your pocket richard what's what's the problem well yeah this is where that's why i use the word, word ill-informed yeah um you know people think that that people who are very rich have lots of cash sitting around in the bank which some do but given the number of businesses that he has and the sectors that they're in gyms hospitality, airlines, cruises, you know, they were the worst hit by lockdown. Uh, and I don't know the actual numbers, but I would suspect that 70% of his business or so were pretty much dried up overnight. And it doesn't really matter how rich you are, when that happens of a business of that scale, that is catastrophic. Mm. And people don't know that he, he had to sell you know, a chunk of, of his space business in order to put the money back into the businesses. He doesn't have 200 million quid sitting in a bank account. He has to sell a chunk of business to put it back into business so that people minimise the impact. That's what he did. Yeah. But no, that doesn't make a very good press story. So, no, because he owns um, an island. So Because he, he owns an island and therefore, <laughs> you know, what does he care? He's rich and, you know, all these people suffering. And actually his, his the workforce were wholly behind him. Mm. And there were some very disingenuous articles written about how miserable they were. They weren't. You know, most people who work at Virgin, a bit like co-op, are, are fanatical about it. Not everybody, but most of them are. Are there better examples of poor behaviour that, that you would pull out in terms of purpose then? Well, I mean, you could argue that, you know, that the rape of the high street by Mike Ashley and the like isn't utterly, isn't completely sustainable. I, I don't know what, what his 
brand purposes apart from making money for for Mike Ashley. And I don't wish to knock him because, you know, he's a hugely successful businessman, but he does business in a way that perhaps I wouldn't want to work there. I'm quite sure he won't invite me to. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of time for, for Morrison's, but I thought they had a really clumsy lunge very early on in lockdown one when they changed, very publicly changed their mission statements. And I can't remember from what to, it's like from colleagues to communities and they now say look what we've done we've changed our mission statement it's like please there was a clumsy pr lunch that just made you look ridiculous and and again i don't wish to knock morrison's they do a lot of fabulous things they have a very very interesting operating model but that was a that was a clumsy lunch and then of course the the usual big test big tech suspects who were counting their their money you know amazon really have you seen the working conditions in amazon do you know how much pollution and wastage is created by Amazon and, and, and our own behaviour, which, of course, then gets back to what the real problem here is. It's not a single business problem. It's us. So long as we go, I can get that cheaper on Amazon, mm. then we have a problem, which gets us back down to – it's quite a good DJ link that. Come on, like segue, segue away. I like what you did that. Um, as to sort of where it's not done well, let's uh, let's just think about why it, it, it's not done well. And then we talked a bit about language and the sort of waffle that, that marketing people people use. But we also talked a bit about how, how difficult it is to do. But in reality, it doesn't always work. You know, it often doesn't move the dial. It doesn't shift short or long-term term communities. And, and the problem is this. It's, it's whilst in many categories, people will say, yeah, I'm going to buy, I value the brand's purpose. I want to buy my milk from a brand that has positive purpose and impact on the community. When it gets to the point of purchase, there are more important drivers that come to bear often. So in the shop, you know, those very same eco-conscious customers cease to prioritise saving the planet because they can save their pennies instead. And, and that is a core problem in this, mm. in that it doesn't matter how much we talk about these things, customers have got to change behaviours and we as marketing people have got to help customers change their behaviours. It's only a few months ago that commentators crowed about boohoo. Oh, sweatshops. <laughs> Yeah, the hum- inhumane, inhuman, inhumane treatment of sweatshop workers and, you know, how young people, purpose-conscious young people would turn away from the brand. And it, they lost a third of the value of the business their share price in one day. However, nothing changed. No. Nothing changed. In fact, Boohoo reported sales growth of 45% in the next six months. So it turns out that a, you know, a cheap top is worth more than the humane treatment of of your fellow workers living on the breadline, and that's the problem. This is this this is the gnarly thing, and then this is where it the, is. the purpose and sustainability thing kind of crosses over and is important. So, thinking about all of those things, the good guys, the bad guys, the misalignment and the confusion, and all those sorts of things, where where do you think the future lies for the role of brand purpose? I think. This is a combination of thought and hope, because I'm naturally an optimist. I think plan B, which has always been a sort of, yes, wouldn't it be nice to do this if, plan B will need to become plan A. I don't think we have a choice. 
I think businesses will need to take more responsibility. More businesses will need to take more responsibility for their impact on people and, and communities and the planet. Mm. It is happening. Yeah. It, it is happening. There's some fantastic examples, some of which we talked about today, but it needs to accelerate, and I think it, it will. And I, and I think, you know, it will be business purpose as much as it will be brand purpose. You know, entire businesses have to have the purpose. Yeah, I believe that. And I, th- and, I, and I think that it will cease to be a sort of marketing tool for differentiation. It will become a hygiene factor. You do it. Otherwise, nobody buys your products or services. Or indeed, through regulation, legislation, you won't be allowed to operate. I think we'll get there. I hope we'll get there. I think sharing economies will become more of the norm. They'll become accepted and, and more important. And, and to do that, we need to change behaviour. And I think changing behaviour is down, down to businesses as a whole, but us, up to us brand and marketing people. Yeah, there's definitely Slowly, a dual responsibility there, isn't there? <laughs> definitely a dual it responsibility. It's, it's not just a business thing, but business, you know, they hold a lot of levers, many of which they use very successfully to adapt our behaviour. Mm. Businesses have to use those levers more responsibly, and we as users, customers, consumers need to be open to change, which is not natural human nature. It isn't. People don't like change. But how bad does it need to get? At the moment, there's a big say-do gap. Come back to that boohoo there example. Is. I want to be responsible. I, you know, we must look after the planet. Yes, I will buy that three-pound dress. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, and then it will go into landfill. Yeah, and then it will pollute somewhere on the planet. Okay, so well, look, that's where I think we'll get to. That's great. If we think that, I mean, there was a Bain and Co report not too long ago that said. 66% of consumers feel that brands who make some kind of public ethical statement are more trusted. And then 56% of UK adults are more loyal to brands whose values align to their own. So two themes that you've talked about, the sustainability thing, the behavior piece, but the alignment of values. So we're at the point in the show that I call sticky notes, Giles. And and as you know, I don't have a capacity for retaining tons of information. So this is where you, (laughs) you, you share some practical tips that my listeners can take away on effectively three sticky notes. If you're thinking about brand purpose, what are the three sticky notes that you would put up that would help businesses get to a better place? I think the first is open your eyes and your ears and Look around you and see what other people in your categories are doing. Second thing is be honest about what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. Properly honest. Ask those difficult questions that you perhaps have been avoiding. And thirdly, take responsibility. Step up. Step up. Don't let everyone else do it. Three very succinct excellent pieces of advice for everybody thinking about this it it's it's an easy topic on the surface it's a tough old complex thing underneath and i think that's that to me is the is the real issue behind making purpose something that really really works for businesses consumers communities is to take the time get into the complexity embrace the complexity but seek out the unity and if you can do that i think you can have something that that really works for people, profit, and yes, we'll put planet in there too. 
Giles, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, my friend. Thank you for your, your sagely wisdom and, and advice and some great examples there that you shared along the way. Really appreciate that. It's been a great pleasure. Okay, my friend, I'll see you soon. You take care. Thanks, Andy. If you'd like to find out more about Giles Thomas, Mimo Brands, and any of the things that we've talked about here, including the McKinsey and Bain Report, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.